Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. Camille, Michael, you're my BFFFFs. So, have a nice Merry Pardon, Miss Michael, you have to go say to Joanna that you'll have a Merry Valentine's today, Mr. Michael. Mr. Michael Morning, your hand of the fifth column. Bye-bye. Poop. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault in the news cycle. We make it and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. I just realized that I bounce in my seat when I deliver this intro, which is a little strange. I'm also wondering if I should do something other than greetings at the beginning of this. Yeah. I am flying high. Welcome, Batterall, in the last hour. <laughs> um, I'm I'm drinking matcha green teas, which I've developed a, a real taste for with oat milk, and oh, I also do things that free think. And I'm I'm delighted to be doing it. Uh, it's been a, a long, hard year. I thought for sure we were just going to be able to do like a year end review. Yeah, but it seems like Matt Welch of Reason Magazine and Michael Boynihan of Vice News have a little bit more work to do today because. Dear God, all of the things, all of the things. There is some $2,000 check thing floating through Congress where every American is going to get like 2000 bucks. And if you're married, you might get 4000 bucks. And I'm sure there's all sorts of qualifications in there that will conspire to make certain I don't get any money. And there are plenty of other things going on, including Josh Hawley, bravely standing up for America, <laughs> doing his best to stop the steal. Damn it. Stop and um, we want to talk about that. And, and I may be mischaracterizing things there, but you know what? Nope. We will arrive at the nuance soon enough because I'm with my guys. I'm with my guys. Last recording of 2020. What's up, guys? What's up, my niggas? How y'all doing? That's How not, doing? that doesn't sound to me like 15. That sounds like 25 milligrams right there. Yeah, that was, 25 uh, to 30. That was, uh, that was literally like talking Short to, acting. Talking to early, acting. early Robin Williams. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> and by the way, how long did it fucking take you to collapse into Northern California fucking douchebaggery when you're like, I'm drinking my matcha tea with oat milk that I'm <laughs> super into? And you Maybe know, I was drinking those in Brooklyn. No, Let's not are. pretend. I mean, I yeah, it's, those in it's not as if there's He's not got a lot like of cucumber milk. wraps on his eyelids. Yeah. You yes. like what you like. You like what you like. Don't judge me. Don't judge me, white man. Um, it is what it is. But I'm not going to apologize for being who I am. But Camille, yeah, this is the end of 2020. It is. And this was a year for you. Is it? This was a year that was about you. Wow. Because I don't care if you identify or not, but this was a year of justice mm. and of mm. revolution. Yes. And of people taking to the streets on behalf of you. That's right. And my life matters. It's funny because I always have a caveat to it. I'm like, no, Black Lives Matter just Camille's doesn't. <laughs> I'm just trying to like, yeah. if I can take yours black, out individually, he's not black and his life just really doesn't matter very much. So. Well, as, as we've so, established and as we know, it, it's, the, it's a particular kind of black life that we're talking about, which is to say, you know, elite, elite black folks, the kind of people who go to college and university and graduate and are beleaguered by microaggressions in their workplace. Those are, those are the ones that matter. The one with the right kinds of ideas. Um, I, I certainly don't think it advantages black people who live in 
desperately backwards, awful, dangerous communities where like the murder rate has been spiking all year long and they, they actually have to worry when they're walking down the street. And since we conflate their problems with the problems of Nicole Hannah-Jones, the imagined problems of Never Nicole Hannah-Jones, like <laughs> so conflating their problems obviously is only good for one of those two parties, not the people yeah. who genuinely have serious problems, the kind of serious problems that exist irrespective of your blackness. So, you know, it's not really a problem, by the way, when you're in complete mediocrity and uh, the world (laughs) decides to call you a genius and give you money. It's like literally, didn't she get the MacArthur uh, genius? uh, Yes, yes. It was implied if it wasn't given. I just thought, Michael, that when you started with uh, 2020 was Camille's year. Was that, I mean, I got a Camille 2020 bumper (laughs) sticker sent by a listener. Yeah. Forget which one. Yeah. uh, Right behind me. Uh, here and uh, I feel like it's a squandered opportunity. Yeah, know? we disappointed some people this year. I got to say that. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the uh, first year podcasts that we did was with Gary Johnson. I think it was was it after he ran or like while he was running? Forget which, but it was in 2016. But he secured his endorsement for you in 2020. That's right. We wrapped that up in 2016. Yeah. So it was already on the table. There were people. But he started who to were thinking about on, running. He started to backtrack on that. It's true that he didn't. I mean, he didn't fully backtrack. He's, you know, he's Gary. He's, yeah. he's a little confused. Untrustworthy stoner. I uh, uh, just, you know, um, the, the pot works differently than Adderall, right? <laughs> uh, I'm on both. You mix that tonight? <laughs> I'm mixing that. Oh, man. oh dear oh. God. But anyways, yeah. So you swirl. disappointed a lot of people, yeah. Camille. Uh, and there was a brief moment in time when uh, the Amash Foster ticket mm. seemed like a possibility. Time is, and- a, time is a funny thing, Matt Welch. Time is a funny thing. Even though this is not a Patreon subscription only edition, and we give you a lot of content if you pay five to ten to twenty five to fifty dollars a month, as you can do. There's going to be other things uh, too, including. I promise. promise. Yeah, yeah. He's been promising. Uh, He's going to start tomorrow. Um, (laughs) I I will say this, even on the free podcast, that the the uh, Amash Foster ticket was something that serious people considered seriously for a day and a half hmm. um that could have happened this year if if if, uh, if the dice would have rolled this way and that way then that could have been a thing let's just realize the the opportunity lost here hmm. or the opportunities skillfully avoided because 2024 could be who knows what um you know instead we had uh, the 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 Jorgensen Cohen ticket. I don't, which who who was did Co- pretty well. Cohen? There was a Cohen on the Spike ticket? Cohen. Spike, Spike Cohen. Cohen. There's no Cohen's yeah. name. Spike. Who? That's is that serious? He's actually a pretty good uh, Twitter follower. He's he's kind of a uh, uh, seemed to be an anarchic uh, kind of a uh, clownish uh, character, but uh, I enjoy in uh, the LP. His. In the LP, <laughs> clownish. <laughs> Anarchic character, uh, but no, he's a he's a good Twitter follow. I would say the good thing about um, the Donald Trump presidency, the one thing I'm going to take away from it and say is positive, is that no one cares anymore about the person running for president. So if Camille was chosen for uh, the Amash ticket, and of course the Amash uh, candidacy never got off the ground, despite teasing it for a while, uh, we w- I wouldn't have to sit there and be like, oh shit, what skeletons are in Camille's closet because. Donald doesn't Trump matter. eliminated it all. Doesn't matter. matter. Doesn't matter yeah, anymore. Doesn't matter. Oppo research. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Donald Trump. Your character. Doesn't matter. Yeah. 
he killed everything. <laughs> he killed like literally everything. And, and, you know, way down in that list is Oppo research and sort of character matters as president. So, you know, Camille, all that bad stuff you did didn't matter. Yeah. You could just, you know, skate onto the uh, to the, the VP. Team. I don't have any skeletons. So, just as long as you're not doing comedy. <laughs> That's true. Oh, yeah. Comedy. That's true. We certainly, comedy. We certainly don't do any of that bad. here. Um, I, I don't have any skeletons. No. I'm an open book. Yeah. I'm an open book. So, Matt, you've been sending us these adorable and completely unintelligible videos of your daughter giving us what yeah. I think might be words of encouragement or perhaps curses, some sort yeah. of obia, yes. as they say in Jamaica. Yes. Yeah. Both. What, what is going on there? What, what is your child saying? Could you so, translate for the good people who've just listened to this audio and with, without any kind of context whatsoever? And now they're receiving mm-hmm. it a couple minutes into the podcast. Yeah. So she comes down here when she knows that there's a podcast being recorded and in that special little uh, sweet spot in between dinner uh, and bedtime and while I'm podcasting. This is a, a wonderful opportunity to um, uh, cause mm-hmm. problems. So she will sneak downstairs where I'm at. We're like in a skinny three story uh, kind of structure. And uh, I've got a little a corner of the basement here. And she loves coming down and she's like, where's Camille? Where's Michael Moynihan? And I'm like, ah, you know, we're starting a little bit late tonight, sweetheart. And so um, in order to try to kind of sponge up her energy, I will record a little video. Like, do you have a do you have a, a statement that you want to give to Camille and Michael? And um, sometimes it's it, it can be just like straight up insults. Um, sometimes it could be words seemingly of encouragement. Uh, this past one, I think what she was saying at the second half of it, Michael, I don't know if you took this away, was that maybe you should wish your ex-wife a uh, happy Valentine's Day with an M. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm not really, so I'm not, <laughs> sure. not sure where she's going it's with that. Horoscope. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. She had like a completely wicked look in her eye when she yeah. said that. So yeah. like uh, she she knew that what she was saying was not um, so just really be, in the cards. So yeah. to to be clear, one yeah. of your daughters is judging my uh, personal life and uh, <laughs> and uh, saying that I'm doing the X thing wrong, which is is just plainly true. And yep. I presume that your other daughter is is uh, cloistered somewhere up in the top of the apartment reporter reporting me to like the Canadian human rights uh, commission or something <laughs> for crimes against she, humanity. She, the 12 year old uh, said uh, at, uh, at uh, dinner today, cause I was remonstrating her a little bit and, and, and pointing out that on our uh, last Patreon thing that we recorded Uh-oh. last night and released uh, today, we're recording on Wednesday. I'm like, Hey, easy. We, you know, we, we mentioned you because you're being kind of a jerk to your mom and, and like, <laughs> Uh, falsely accusing her of bigotry when she's having fun at Hilaria Baldwin's expense. And she's like, fine, you can tell the fifth column listeners that if they want to be uh, racist and homophobic and transphobic, they can do it. Uh, it just as long as I don't have to be anywhere near it. That's what Good. she said. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Thank, yeah. thank you yeah. for, yeah. Well, you know, her giving, it's on the page, her yeah. giving permission to, to, <laughs> the listeners of this podcast to be racist is super racist and is totally going to keep her out of KU. That's a thing. Yeah. Like we're going to use this recording. (laughs) Also Coco, we should note is the younger daughter who has also said, but why do we have to pretend black lives matter? 
So she's also mm-hmm. not going to be able to get into her school of choice. So both of your yeah, kids, she didn't, she doesn't are not say even pretend, sixteen, and she they're canceled. Say pretend. Super canceled. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna send, uh, I'm gonna send that audio to the <laughs> University of Santa Fe. Yeah, wherever she's just on it for the next decade. It'll, it'll be <laughs> more valuable. Coco's favorite thing to do is to walk down the sidewalk and. She'll note, you know, whether just register with her eyes that there's Black Lives Matter signs in every third window. But she'll wait until like the handsome black couple walks down the sidewalk oh and then say in a really loud voice, hey, daddy, why does it always have to say Black Lives Matter like, <laughs> right at the moment they're crossing and looking at me? So uh, she's actually tormenting you. Special. She's actually trying to get you into trouble. Absolutely. Yeah. There's she's no, baiting there's you not, into there's saying no ambiguity. things about Black Lives Matter. So she knows exactly what's going on. That's monstrous. Jeez. Back to your, oh, yeah, your yeah. other daughter who writes for Truth Out. <laughs> um, the... Uh, I just want to Jacobin. point out, She's yeah, the Jacobin, <laughs> uh, Jack, Jacobin kids. The Jacobin is a little skeptical <laughs> of the wokeness now. Jacobin is a little yeah, skeptical. That's true. That's true. Okay. She's like Truth Vo- Vogue so preteen, long. maybe Vogue preteen. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. That is the, the like, leading political journal for prepubescent girls. <laughs> yeah. For like 11 year old Mensheviks. It's like, it's, yeah. but I, I just want to point out Allyship that I did point this for out. Young, for young girls, for young ladies. <laughs> Actually, they don't say that on the Patreon for last young night. persons with or without vaginas. That's what they said. <laughs> just, just stop. Go 20, Michael, twenty-eight God. milligrams. Um, I'm just estimating now. Um, last night on the Patreon, what we did last night on Patreon, by the way, if you didn't, if you don't subscribe and you're like cheap and a nasty person and want us to start, <laughs> um, we do these things sometimes where we're like, you know, it's like the like the secret show. And I, my favorite thing, by the way, we just like announce it like 20 minutes before we're going to do a live Zoom thing mm-hmm. and you can call in. Um, and my favorite is when people complain that they that like, why are you just telling us now? I'm like, <laughs> that's the know, I, seriously, that's the point. It's like, why are you giving me a heads up? Yeah. I'm like, I'm not doing it for really you. want to see who's so what Mick Jagger says when he does the like the show at the rainbow, yeah. you know, where like, yeah. you know, and does like, you know, and we are. Yes, I am comparing myself <laughs> to Mick Jagger. Yeah. I know uh, Matt so. is is. Matt's sort of Charlie Watts and uh, Camille's kind of uh, Bill Wyman. But, you know, um, I don't know who that is. So that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. yeah no yeah. objection. He, yeah. He's he likes, in charge, right? He likes people who read Teen Vogue. Nice. Yes, I he like does. everybody. He also owns a metal detector company now, seriously. Um, and I like, also like metals, yeah. fine metals. But I want to point out that the beginning of that uh, Zoom, which was a great success, and despite the fact that it was like 20 minutes beforehand, I think we had, you know, in and out for almost 500 people, which was great. And uh, I did start that. And maybe I'll, maybe you can drop this at the end of the podcast as a teaser that I'm obsessed with the Ilaria Baldwin story. Oh, yeah. Ilaria Baldwin, my favorite Spanish person from uh, Boston. I should also uh, 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 hype our friend and multiple uh, previous guest and future guest, Kat Timph. Uh, has done like 75,000 segments on Fox News and Fox Business Network about Hilaria Baldwin. Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And like loves every second of it. It's also that that time of the year, though, right? Because oh, Kat, Kat is precisely the sort of person who is likely to be in the Fox Halls. I mean, when, I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the podcast, but we do do a little bit of, oh, this is how that cable news nonsense works. But around this time of the year, all of your favorite Fox hosts are on vacation. Yep. So a lot of the Fox hosts you might not see as frequently, people who don't have big families and are likely to be available um, and close to the city, like they put in extra hours 
So you might see somebody like Kat Tim, who is who is childless. She is childless. She's also just, mm. you know, very young and hasn't started a family now. yet. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, but definitely a choice. <laughs> there's no not judgment a child. in the world childless. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no, there is. You can say childless. It's a factual yeah, I didn't statement. Say there's no barren. judgment. There. Back when I... Childless. Yeah. <laughs> back when I used to do... Uh, Back when I used to go on MSNBC, uh, I went on so many Thanksgivings and yeah. New Year's Eves and Christmases. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's it. Like, you know, the unpaid talent comes in when the uh, the paid talent's on leave. But it's also like bad dad TV. So if you see somebody who's dad on during Thanksgiving or Christmas, he's a bad dad. That's <laughs> yeah. what it is. Say, now, wait a second. In in fairness, on Thanksgiving – it's, I'm good dad because I'm taking my entire family oh, true. to 30 you do Rock do that. to watch the Thanksgiving right. Macy's Day Parade. I've done that like three different times. That's super that's good true. dad. You're right. I win. You're right. I, guess. I bet you didn't do that this year. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, Matt. I mean, you're you're a good dad, except for to be started this podcast with you explaining that your uh, daughter is a Maoist <laughs> and uh, your other daughter is an incoherent narc. Uh, who's just ratting everybody out and kind of racist too. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's your parenting skills. Did you think that's good? But I don't know. I don't think yeah. so. Interestingly, <laughs> it came around to the cancellation of young people. It it might be worth uh, visiting briefly. And actually, I think we talked about this a little bit last night. This young girl who, I guess it was in the New York Times over the weekend. Was it the weekend paper that published something about this story? I think so, the, yes. The young lady who had applied to University of Tennessee was essentially forced to withdraw because one of her classmates had a Snapchat clip of her using the word, I believe it's nigga and not nigger. And the context yeah. seemed to be her jokingly using the word and like, again, a three odd second clip from Snapchat with friends saying something along the lines of nigga, I can drive. I can drive. See, nigga, yeah. I can drive, um, which to me sounds like someone who listens to hip hop music and occasionally you know, uses uses this dangerous word the way children do. Of course, she doesn't have the appropriate melanin content for the use of that word in any context to be acceptable because we have <laughs> a ridiculous have double yeah. standard um, surrounding the word nigger, which we pretend is actually a safeguard for people to, to, to sort of control for bigotry in our society. But actually, it's just a trap. It is just a trap for anyone who is stupid enough to say the word when they don't have the right phenotypic traits. Wait, C Camille, That's it. who's that rapper who pulled the, the girl up on stage to sing along with the song oh. and she sang along with the song and it included that word? Sing the song. It's like that's what you do that's when you're you like do. when you're in seventh grade. And you're a fan, you know? and you're a fan, um, and you've not yet yeah. learned the the magical ways of hypocritical nonsense, double standard that pretends to masquerade as though it's about justice. And the the thing about this story and the reason I mentioned it is because um, it's so grotesque what her classmate did. Not what she said. She does not 
defend her use of the word nigger in that context. I don't care. Um, it is obvious to me that it wasn't intended in a racist way. Um, I think that the entire double standard is totally ridiculous. But more than that, I think there's something vicious about a classmate sitting on a clip of you for years, waiting for the opportunity. And this is how they have characterized it in the New York Times, waiting for the opportunity to have maximum damage attributed to you and then finds themselves in the midst of the Black Lives Matter moment, sees that you, young girl, have posted in support of the Black Lives Matter movement, and at that moment decides to drop this clip of you in order to completely destroy you. And when asked, yeah. how do you feel about this woman having to you know, withdraw from school over this years-old video, um, having publicly endorsed the Black Lives Matter movement, he said, I don't feel any sort of way about it. And it's wonderful that this video will live forever because the internet never forgets. Cancel culture is one thing. You know, this, it, is, this is beyond that. This is just... It's beyond that. I want to hurt you. <laughs> Do you I think, I Camille, you, you might have... I think you might have gotten off the call last night before we talked about this in depth. We talked about it for a while. So for those who have listened to it uh, on the Patreon, apologize for covering a little of the same uh, territory myself. But the, um, I, the one thing I, I suppose I didn't say this last night is that when you look at this and objectively, you should say, even if you think that what this girl did at 15 years old, because what you do at 15 years, years old is, is incredibly important for the rest of your life and you should be judged uh, by it forever. forever. But even if you think that is terrible, you have to also sit back and think that the person who is doing this is also terrible. And the reason is... Because if you have, it's not a normal thing. It's kind of a sociopathic thing to do that. Watch the entire, and, and by the way, not the nation, not the local newspaper, not the national newspaper, but globally. I think it was on the BBC. It was some other places I saw in European newspapers. It's not a news story beyond a local level. Um, it's not a news story beyond sort of Tennessee. A national news story is crazy, covered by the New York Times, the Washington Post, et cetera, then covered by the BBC or whoever. This is totally nuts. But they're not actually covering it in the way that you and I and Matt and all of us would cover it, is saying, like, look at how crazy everything has become. They're actually covering it saying, look at how horrible this girl is. <laughs> it's As, you know, it's like the BBC is actually judging a 15-year-old girl and saying, this is where we have to do this, this story yeah, about yeah. it. But if you are the type of person that holds on to something for that long to, to, you know, this is maximum damage when it can actually hurt her life and hurt her, uh, you know, career prospects and her name will forever be tied to this on the internet. As he points out, mm -hmm. it, uh, it does not uh, forget. And, and that's something that, you know, European politicians run campaigns against this right to be forgotten kind of thing. This guy is uh, weaponizing it in a, in a really horrifying way. But if you don't have any empathy for somebody, I mean, and you don't want to say to them, look, and Matt told a story relevant to this last night, so I recommend people go listen to it, is that, look, you did something that I didn't like. It bugged me. It hurt me, whatever. Um, here's why. And I know you at 18, you're probably not the same person as you were when you were 15. And she could say, you know, look, yeah, no, you're right. And I was just being stupid. And I wanted to try to sound like I was like fucking hip hop or something. And that is the normal response. I mean, I don't think it's even normal to, to, to say anything about this, you know, three years later. But the thing that d defines all of this stuff today is the complete cruelty of it, is the lack of forgiveness. There's no grace and there's no forgiveness. And that is something that a culture desperately needs, particularly when all of our utterances are, you know, transcribed 
and and you know put up on YouTube and put on Snapchat or now Instagram stories, the rest of it, is that when you're immortalizing everything dumb that somebody says, it's horrifying. And I think I mentioned this last night is that I think one of the reasons why this thing resonates with some people is not only that she got kicked out of school, it's we all go back to ourselves when we were 15 in 14 and said, oh yeah, man, I must have said some horrible things. And could you imagine if there was one moment where that was recorded and then my life changed forever? <laughs> because that one moment that made that I, I did something silly would define me forever. Mm. And if you are somebody who thinks that's a normal response, you, there's something wrong with you. And I'm sorry that the, the, the girl, I mean, I don't know anything about her. I don't know anything about the situation. Maybe she's a horrible racist. I haven't seen any evidence of that, but I have seen evidence uh, beyond her trying to, you know, be cool when she was 15 and, and, and utterly failing. Um, but I have seen evidence that, that this kid uh, is, is not a good person. It, or, or I shouldn't say that he's not. He's doing something mm -hmm. that is. He's doing. It, it, he's doing something very, this, very nasty. Yeah, it's definitely not. It's dishonorable. It's definitely not laudable. This is. This is something no, he, should, well, he should be ashamed of. And and I, I do think it's it's worth underscoring here because you you pointed out, Michael, like the 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 international newspapers that are covering this, the global coverage of this massively consequential story is highlighting the evil, the awfulness, the depravity of this young lady. What I think is is worth underscoring is the fact that this really isn't about the particular crime here. Like no, no one is shocked that a young girl has used this particular word in this kind of ridiculous, totally benign context. What's amazing here, what's worth covering is the utter destruction of her life. Yes. <laughs> like the, the fact that this could be something with grave consequences for, for her forever. That is what we care about. That is what is motivating our interests in this story. It's what, it's mm -hmm. what people who think it, this is a good outcome are actually interested in. It is a lie, a dishonest charade to pretend that this has anything to do with justice or racial equality or any of that other bullshit. And, and it's, it's, or, or, or it's, importantly, learning. Uh -huh. Because there's none learning. of that. The, the, no, no. I, the, the, no, it's the it idea is. of like, well, now we, we need to teach you a thing. It's like, well, no, where, where does she have that tribunal, yeah. you know, three years later where she says, I, I get to, you know, present my case that I've learned from this, et cetera. No one cares about yeah. her demonstrating that she's learned anything. They use this language pretending like we, we need to teach people. Blah, blah. Okay. She's been taught. She was 15. What happens now? Do you get all that stuff erased from the internet? And when, uh, you know, a job app, you know, a, a, someone hiring an HR has two applicants and one of them, when they Google is that person mm -hmm. and the other one is just, you know, nobody, they're going to go with the nobody, not the one that's uh, notorious. And, you know, it, we, the language we use about somebody who's 15, it, it, it changes depending on the story. There's been a lot of stuff that I've been listening to a podcast, actually, in particular, about the the reprehensible uh, Jeffrey Epstein and Jelaine, Jelaine Maxwell, uh, Robert Maxwell's daughter, who's, you know, the, the handmaiden here. And when they're talking about 15 year old girls, they rightfully are talking about mm. their complete innocence and the fact that they don't know anything. And they're walked into these situations that they cannot judge. And they are, you know, that somebody who is probably 28 would be like, what the fuck is going on here? Get, the 15-year-old cannot do that, and they don't do that. And that's pretty common in all of the stories. So when we're talking about that, we're talking about 15-year-olds who don't have the capacity to think like 25-year-olds or 35-year-olds. But when we're talking about a 15-year-old in a Snapchat video is trying to speak in slang, 
um, and now has can't go to university. We're we're um, char- we're charging her as an adult, basically. Mm. The, uh, this is not a story. There's no justification at all for this uh, for being a story. Um, if the University of Tennessee exactly doesn't mm. act exactly right, so there were adults in mm-hmm. the story. The protagonists, the antagonists, whatever the main characters, they were teenagers talking about what happened when they were fifteen. Um, and like all things that happen between fifteen-year-olds, it doesn't matter. It's not important. <laughs> no, unless it's not unless like you a make murder a baby or, or which is possible. A good, a good murder or a good baby. Yeah, um, <laughs> great baby. It's just, it just doesn't Best matter baby. at all. But <laughs> the University of Tennessee. Uh, no, I said a great baby. Oh. <laughs> um, he, hot baby. He's gonna, so, he gonna make a pretty baby. So that. Cr- yeah. Sorry. That creates that creates a story, which can then be a um, it, it's you know it's a subject of legitimate journalistic inquiry. My mm. God, the University of Tennessee has bounced some girl based on a single sourced story. Granted, they got video or audio or whatever uh, of her saying this, but like that's crazy. Yeah, really. You, you, there's like a one strike thing uh, here, and and given not in, uh, given by someone who had clearly ill intent. That's a thing. Okay, so that's that is a legitimate uh, thing of inquiry, and it's amazing and very telling that the New York Times took that and portrayed it and like tried to get to like to the the you know the racialized context of it all, as opposed to holy cow, this is a zero tolerance, insane. What the hell's wrong with our culture? Story that yeah. is the story um, yeah. that is worth telling, and they didn't, and they're not going to, and I think a lot of publications. Post George Floyd, post, and I don't say that based on the action that happened with George Floyd, but the media reaction to it, which was a lot of people are going to start up uh, big diversity desks and equity desks and, and hire a bunch of journalists to look at, the, at these things from a certain angle. <laughs> you have a lot of people looking around waiting for a story here. Like, <laughs> can we call the Tiki bars racist or whatever? You know, this, the, you, that, that. There's there's personnel there that needs to be deployed. Um, and so the two people that got this wrongest uh, is not even the snitch um, who's bad enough. But like that, the snitch shouldn't have landed. That should have been shrugged off by the University of Tennessee. No story. And then the New York Times is going to cover it. And I don't really think you do. But let's say that you do. You cover it because it's crazy on its face yes. to 95% of normal human beings who are going to read this. Uh, like, what the living fletch are you people doing? Um, that's not how they took it, and that's not how a lot of, I think, current uh, kind of mainstream to elite media would take it. I think they would take it in the New York Times way, and it is, it, it's like facially out of sorts with what most people would consider to be kind of a normal and just uh, approach. So it ends up becoming a kind of uh, 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 an interesting story um, despite itself uh, for an unintentionally interesting story, uh, unintentionally interesting cautionary tale, not just about the action itself, but about the journalism around it. My God, how can you portray um, that one kid as anything but a destructive snitch um, who we shouldn't hear anything about because it shouldn't have worked? Do, Do you ever get the sense that the people involved in this story, particularly on the university's end, um, I made this point last night that I don't 
think that the person who is is saying we have to kick this kid out of school or not allow them to come to school here, I don't think they actually believe it. I don't think they actually believe that in any way, just like, you know, when whatever corporation in the Midwest who has a national footprint is putting up billboards about, you know, Ibram X. Kendi believes it. And I think we're at a point now that it's very, very difficult to tell. It's like, you know, it's like those those like scenes when you have, you know, 10 Soviets in a room and they were all praising, praising Stalin. And then Khrushchev gives a secret speech and they were like, oh, yeah, no, we all agreed. That's so crazy. We were in the room <laughs> and we were all lying about how we loved Stalin. But it turns out we were all like tricking each other. And there was nobody that was telling the truth in this in this room. It's, that's the sense I get about this stuff is that people are doing this because they're afraid of a response that probably isn't going to happen. Mm. And it's best to err on the side of caution and sacrifice this one girl, this one person out of the 330 million in America. But what they don't understand or what they don't think through is that the second they react to some shitty kids, uh, you know, posting of this video with the explicit, explicit idea of getting her kicked out of school and ruining her life, et cetera, the second they respond to that, they spawn 500 new ones. It's exactly why the United States does not pay ISIS hostage money. Because the next thing you know, they're full of ISIS hostages, right? And they're, it's a money-making machine. <laughs> and this is going to be a misery machine of people creating this stuff. And I can, I guarantee you, and I can hear this already, I always try to anticipate the, the utterly stupid things that people will say in response to these conversations. And one would be this, is that you're bagging on this kid, but you're actually, no, you don't care at all about the girl who did the crime thing. Well, I don't, here's the thing. I don't take seriously anything any 15 year old says she said um a one syllable word three years ago and i think the covington thing taught us you know maybe there's more and don't don't mm -hmm. you know there's always can be other context and i don't know what that is so i'm gonna I, I do know the complete context of a guy saying i want to destroy this person's life so i'm releasing this hoping the university actually kicks her out of school so i think the difference here is that I don't take children seriously. And then all this, and what they think, what they believe, I don't care. Do you remember all those like young conservative, Jonathan Crone? Do you remember that one who spoke, he like spoke oh, at God, yeah. He became like a Marxist and like, you know, is it, was at NYU sure. and became this lefty and wrote a book about, you know, conservatism when he was 12. Why is anyone listening to this kid? He's a kid who fucking cares. Yeah. And that's, that's across the board. 15 year old girl doing this dumb, you know, ditzy headed Snapchatting. I don't this, care. This happens after school shootings as well. Like we, we, uh, highlight the 17 year old. We agree with, we, uh, we yes. hate the 17 year old. We disagree with, it's like that dude, they're 17. How about like, just ignore them until they're like 23. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, what, what was the, there's one Kyle, there was the Kyle, that Kyle Kashuv. There was and a, then there's and then uh, another Kyle, wasn't there? There was the good Kyle and the bad Kyle. It was like the two Corey's. It was like Corey Haim and Corey <laughs> Feldman. But you know, I like those ones better. So anyway. Well, we, we, we talk about these, these things a lot. And, and, and I just want to say for the, for the good of the order, perhaps it's worth, getting back into these things, not because it's just outrageous and that's good fodder for the podcast. I think it is imperative for us to highlight the absurdity of these things, to call them out when we see them, and to make it clear 
that publications that are leaning into these stories and suggesting that this is somehow an acceptable outcome and the people that are generating these stories and, and perhaps attaining some level of, of sort of fame and, and renown for being brave enough to castigate someone for the awful thing that they did when they were 15 years old. Like we should, we should push back and say no. Yeah. No, nope. Yeah, no, that's I mean, you creating. I mean, to, it's, it, it's important. It's how you create the fear. It's important because yeah. we we yeah. got we have to we have to re realign the incentives here. <laughs> like we just really mm-hmm. do. The social pressure is important. The the culture part of the cancel culture that that's important, and, and I just think it's part of the conditioning. So, and and Michael Michael pointed to something that's very important. Briefly, is that there's no grace in this. There's no culture mm. of forgiveness of this, and it's not that this is an overly religious podcast uh, it has a very interesting mm-hmm. kind of strange relationship with for, with with religion you can you can hum the hymn there uh, <laughs> thank you camille thank you adventist um but like you got to have some grace in this stuff this is this a lot of what is happening in american culture right now is kind of calvinism without the fun uh, or puritanism without the fun like there's no there's no sense of of oh you can learn from your lesson and get better it's like, no, it's, it's, it's pure, like sort of punishment and that's it. That's it. At the end you get the stick comes down and that is it. And you see this, not just in these kind of outrage cases, you see this also, um, I mean, we had a congressman or a congressman elect die. I think yesterday it was, uh, what's his name? Lyle Lutnow from Louisiana or close to that. And I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing his name, um, died at age 41 and like an immediate reaction among a lot of people, including like journalists, Aaron Rupar from Vox was like, you know, shame that he died. It's a real tragedy linking to him, the Congressman elect uh, giving a speech saying that, you know what? Um, we shouldn't have big lockdowns because that hurts people too. Um, and then saying, you know, we really should take COVID more seriously says Aaron Rupar. Like people are not precisely dancing on the graves of the dead. But I was looking for a thing that I'm going to write uh, tomorrow for a reason. Uh, I'd forgotten about this already because this is 2020 after all. But like Donald Trump got uh, contracted COVID in early October. Immediately, the biggest uh, search of any word on, I think it was Merriam Webster's website was uh, on Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Because <laughs> people, people were wondering whether it was okay to feel happy that the president got coronavirus. And it's like, dude, no. In fact, that's, uh, we're talking about our, our daughter. Like uh, at uh, dinner, we were talking about various peoples in our orbit. Uh, one person in particular had uh, contracted coronavirus. And she's like, uh, I'm like, no, it's okay. You know, people contract. It's not okay, but like a lot of people might, you know, one of my brothers did, my wife's brother did. They're both okay now. Um, a lot of people contracted. President Trump contracted it. This person, that person, that person. And the five-year-old's like, well, I, I'm I'm, kind of happy that Trump got it. Oof. And I'm like, no, dude, we don't do that. Levia said the same thing to me. We don't do that. That's just like, dislike him for for what he does. Do not wish ill on him. Do not wish disease on him. We just don't do that. You seem to get it. The schadenfreude, though, isn't it slightly different? I mean, I'm pro schadenfreude in this case. Um, it's It's not wishing it upon someone, but it is more of like, that's what you get, dude. Um, when you say like everybody shouldn't, you know, masks are stupid and, and wearing them is dumb and we're not going to have, uh, we're going to have events where people 
don't wear masks and, you know, people are getting infected at White House. You know, the guy in Massachusetts that was the GOP chair who's, you know, at a Hanukkah party and and was like, I regret this. Chris Christie saying I regret going to that party and it was not a mass thing. And being so brazen about it and being the president that is that is, um, you know, basically telling his supporters who if you have met his real diehard supporters really do uh, listen to him and believe what he says. And saying, you know, well, this is kind of a bit of a shrug. It's a bit of a flu, and that's it. So when he gets it, you know, the Schadenfreude is pretty. I think it's pretty hard to 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 avoid, in a way. You know, I mean, I I don't. I it's I don't think it's the yes same. Yes, no. I, don't I think mean, it's like, the same thing as like, wishing him ill. I mean, I, I don't. I do I for think, other I think reasons. A, I think there's a wishing people ill, but there's also a uh, a sense of, uh, and and this is what has irritated me about the. A COVID discussion from the beginning and it just it continues and it's going to be with us until this thing is done um hmm. is that everyone wants to assign a morality um to why someone got it everyone's looking for uh, the, sure, the that's cut true, yeah. skirt yeah um and uh and it's it's crazy it's crazy dude like it's it's a pandemic you know um it, it there it the rhymes and reasons are we're still working them out and um there is no you know, one single perfect virtuous behavior that or virtuous set of policies that allow you to avoid it. It just there isn't. And and I think when you are constantly looking for the the public facing morality of everything and applying it negatively to your enemies, real or perceived, you're probably going to be blinding yourself to uh, possible solutions um, that could have been arrived at if we were looking at it from a problem solving point of view rather than a political conflict point of view. Yeah, I think um, that's right. And that, yeah, and that yeah. infuriates. Yeah. Me, I really mean, I'll say one final thing. This is the, the morality thing. You know, I, I, I agree with that on, on, on a number of ways. The schadenfreude thing, I think is slightly different, but you know, with this, this Republican uh, incoming Republican Congressman who uh, died, he was 40, 41 years old. Hmm. And there was apparently no uh, pre-existing conditions, et cetera. Now, it turns out that the last story I read in this was, was slightly complicating that he was having a surgery related to coronavirus and he had a heart attack. Right. I don't know if that was created, if, 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 if that wouldn't have, I mean, if the heart attack was related to the corona, if it was a surgery that was botched. I mean, it's hard to tell because it's very, 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 very rare for somebody 40 years old, I mean, just it's 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 not something you can even debate me on. It's just mm -hmm. statistically true that it's very, very rare that somebody who doesn't have an underlying condition um, that, you know, maybe he had one he didn't know about will contract coronavirus at 40 years old and die. He was looked quite healthy, too. He's a thin guy. But I think that, that there there is something about, you know, the assignation of blame here and the, the desperate you know, I mean, I think a journalist should say, well, that's really rare mm -hmm. that somebody like that would get. So what? what let, let me here? call the hospital. Yeah. What happened here? But instead, there I, there seems to be this sort of glee and this desperation to have it be coronavirus. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, I mean, opponents of, you know, the war in Iraq or something. There was a there was a time in which. I thought it was odd that people were rooting for the higher number of civilian deaths. No, no, the Lancet said it was a million. And I'm like, no, 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 we don't want that to be true. That's really bad for a million people to die. And this has nothing to do with the morality of war. And I see a little bit of that here when I see people choosing the higher estimates on corona deaths. 
I don't want more people to die. I think that's bad. But there's this thing of like, no, no, he got it. He had Corona and he let, let's go to the tape from C-SPAN. He said this thing. And then let's let's dunk on him uh, a little bit here. And like even that comment that, you know, was it Aaron, you know, Rupert, whatever his name is, uh, pointed out is like that says nothing about his position on coronavirus. Nothing at all. Mm-hmm. No, nothing. It's a, it's, a, it's a transparently true statement that economies are being crippled and that cripples people and that leads them into other health crises and depression etc nothing controversial about that doctors will tell you that so i don't know what that how that you know it just seems like people are desperate to find that clip i mean when somebody dies if your first instinct is to go to the lexus nexus archive mm-hmm. and try to find him saying out the, the hypocrisy thing, yeah yeah, yeah, that's your first instinct. That's pretty. That's pretty rough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're a hypocrite, dead guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The that's, face. That's yeah, exactly. Well, it's not unlike this. Um, this bombing story that was a total non-story for the most part. A guy on Christmas takes a trailer, fills it with explosives, parks it downtown, and a loudspeaker tells people in the vicinity, "Get out of your homes. There's a bomb in this trailer." And then I believe the song Downtown starts to play. <laughs> yes. The song Petula Clark, by the way, complained about it. Starts she was play. mad. Um, and yeah, she's like, I like and, Nashville. Uh, yeah, I, I believe it was that. like 15 odd minutes or so. A, a bunch of hero cops get involved and actually help get people out of their homes. Because if I heard an announcement like that, I mean, do you leave your house? Do you presume that it's a ridiculous hoax? Um, or do you do something by some miracle? It seems the only person to have died in this circumstance, and I, even even now on Wednesday, this happened on Christmas. I am not quite sure. Pretty sure he's the only person who died. The guy who yes, reportedly set off this bomb. Uh, our lack of interest in this story is not because we were all so busy on Christmas, because most of you, like you know, good citizens, weren't traveling. But it, it has everything to do with the fact that it is just not politically expedient. This story is about a psycho who believed in a 5G conspiracy and set a bomb in front of the local telecom office in order to blow it up because he blamed them for having killed his father. Like that seems to be the story here. It is not a politically expedient narrative. And if it was, it would be the only thing that we could talk about. It would for a a hundred different reasons. You know all about his social media. Even if it was only tangentially related to politics, even if we didn't quite know we would know that it was related to politics. No, and dude, the headlines it, would misleadingly if it was, if it was Q, that stuff. Jared Loughlin. If it was Jeffrey Epstein, if it was if it was Q, if it uh, you know was talking about the Oath Keepers, uh, that that'd be the well, you know, yeah. Q. That stuff is is um, as dumb as these five G things, but you know, five G things aren't really politically aligned. They're not a sort of right wing thing or a left wing thing, because I can name people on both sides um, who believe in this stuff. And there isn't a coherent political philosophy behind it where Q has an idea about the deep state and has an idea about Donald Trump. And I think you're absolutely right, Camille, that, that you know, we give a lot more coverage whether people died or not. I don't actually think that's the relevant factor mm-hmm. here, um, you know, based on if we can beat up our enemies over it. I mean, I can always I always say this. I can remember the names of so many of these people, even the ones that we wanted to be political who weren't, like Jared Loeffner, um, who shot Gabby Giffords, but I can never remember the guy who shot Steve Scalise. Mm. I don't, he's never mentioned, and I don't remember his name. 
And last time I said this, someone sent it to me, and I still don't remember <laughs> it. But uh, so maybe that says something more about me than it does about who had me. worked for the Bernie Sanders campaign. Yes, like, yeah, he was a political yeah. dude. that that was not made into a, a big uh, a big story, and I don't think it should have been in the sense that like his politics are relevant to the story because it was a political attempted assassination. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, he shot multiple people. Um, so it's very, very relevant, but I don't believe the actions of one, you know, lone psycho should dominate the news cycle because people want to beat up on Bernie Sanders. I don't think that that's right or relevant, but if we saw that applied across the board politically, I'd be happier, but we don't. Well, our friend Tina Nguyen over at uh, Politico has uh, a tweet that I just saw about Lynn Wood, a pro-Trump attorney, someone affiliated with the president who has been uh, a, a key, prominent, loud, vocal proponent of the stop the steal efforts. Um, but this is this; these are some tweets uh, screenshotted of him um, engaging in what seemed to be. Uh, let me check, clarify that. What are definitely QAnon-related <laughs> conspiracy theories about John Roberts uh, doing everything from apparently murdering Justice Scalia. Um, to helping Jeffrey Epstein secure young girls to do bad things to. Of course, this is further evidence of his deep corruption in not supporting President Trump's effort to have the results of the recent election um, overturned and to have the courts make a decision, obviously, in favor of Donald Trump. Wait, these are, just to be clear, these are Lynn Woods these tweets? These are Lynn Woods tweets. Yep. Yeah. She's tweeting about, like, Tonight, yeah. Jeffrey Epstein. He is. And... He is. Yes, John Roberts and Jeffrey. Epstein. Oh, it's a guy. Yeah. yeah. Who's the? What's the lady? What's her name? Um. Oh. Uh, what's her name? Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, I, I forget. Her name's Ebola or something. <laughs> yeah. That that dope. Um. I, yeah. I, Linwood was. Um. Uh. Who's he? He was somebody's attorney. Somebody famous. I think he was. Um. He was one of Trump's attorneys. Was he not? Well, he's one of Trump's, but but yes, but also he's he's been in Democratic circles too yeah, in the past. Yeah, he he had some pretty um, famous clients in the past. Yeah. He's a DC lawyer. He's, he's he's a nut sandwich. Um, and these, if anything, Camille's underselling the craziness of these tweets. Like you know, pretty sure that Jeffrey Epstein like set up John Roberts's adopted kids, or I don't sure. know what. Um, it is in like you know the Scalia murder. Um, uh, it's, it's absolutely bananas. And all I can say, and I mean this in a heartfelt, sardonic, caustic way as possible is like, congratulations, people. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the, that that's this, it, it was, turns out when you back somebody who spent a good deal of the Obama administration being real serious about like a birth certificate mm -hmm. showing that Obama like was a secret something or other. Secret Indonesian, Secret Santa, Kenyan, Muslim, whatever, <laughs> Secret Santa. Um, it turns out that this guy who's lied his entire life all the time and stiffed all of his creditors and whatever, um, and then acted like that as president, it turns out his final days as a president, he's going to act like an asshole clown and the people around him are going to be not like C-level and D-level, but like Z-level, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. absolute or ass clowns. bottom of the and, barrel. Bottom, um, bottom of the barrel. It's bottom of the barrel, and it, and it's it it should be generationally embarrassing uh, for people. Um, and I don't mean the voters here as much, although they got some some of that on their fingertips too. Um, 
but certainly for people within the kind of professional class of politics mm. and commentary yeah. to try to put lipstick on this pig. It's a pig. Well, keep, that's a Sydney, pig. Sydney, Sydney that, Powell is the woman you Sydney were Powell. About. Thank Sydney you. Sydney Powell. Yeah. Yeah. Who, no. who sounds like a baseball player or something. Um, <laughs> nope. Boog, Boog Powell. It, you know, the, the thing to remember is that Donald Trump just uh, pardoned uh, the, the, the grand poobah of conspiracy theories, uh, Roger Stone. Mm -hmm. I mean, Roger Stone is like people forget this because he can be entertaining when he goes on TV and he wears dumb suits and the rest of it. Roger Stone is like he's unstable in, in some way. You cannot think these things and think them seriously and be a serious person. It's just, I mean, the Kennedy conspiracy stuff is fine because it's 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 fairly common. It's wrong, but it's fairly common. And he's written books about, you know, LBJ killed him or whatever. But he told me, and I and he abandoned this because he thought Trump was going to lose. I've told this story once before. He thought Trump was going to lose in October. And I interviewed him in October of 2016. And he basically said that to me. And then he threatened the Trump campaign with a lawsuit, by the way. He threatened to sue them. Yeah. And, um, you know, said, well, you know, I don't have an NDA. He said, I signed an NDA, but my lawyer looked at it and I, you know, I'm not obliged to follow it because some, of some sort of clerical error or something. He was threatening the Trump campaign mm -hmm. back then, the man who just pardoned him. Um, and he said to me, well, you know, because there's going to be no potential political windfall for him because he was going to lose. I, he was going to go and write the book that he had been uh, working on, which was about how Hillary Clinton uh, had John F. Kennedy Jr. killed. And uh, the plane, uh, you know, if you look, there's no fog. There was no fog that day. There's a lot of fog that day. And, you know, he just and he was a good mm -hmm. pilot. He didn't have a pilot's license. Uh, he had like a learner's permit, basically. And, you know, Hillary Clinton like went and clipped the brake cables, basically. This is the person who we have just refer to now as Roger Stone because he's a part of the Trump inner circle. We forget about it in the same way that, you know, because he was the president, we tend to forget the president was a fucking birther. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's bananas that we elected a birther, somebody who was, who was, you know, constantly antagonizing Obama on, on Twitter about his birth certificate, which was so easily disproven that somebody would have had to created a time machine gone back and slipped a birth notice into a Hawaii paper and put it into the microfilm that they produced in the years subsequent to that. I mean, it's crazy. I'm just so nuts. But, you know, at the end of the day, you wonder, does he actually believe this stuff? I don't know if Trump does. I know Roger Stone does. And I, I, I guarantee that Lynn Wood and these people that, you know, see this mental decline at this age in their life and start believing anything as both, a, you know, a quest for for you know remaining relevant or in the news cycle or something i don't know why people do it but but it's really kind of gross yeah, it's and worth, shameful. worth speculating about whether or not uh, donald trump actually believes these things because we we really don't know he does have a history of buying into conspiracy theories um but he has of late been pushing the stop the steal effort he has publicly um called upon his supporters to come out to this january 6th i believe it is um, event that is being planned. This would be the third um, DC-based stop the steal mass gathering of Trump supporters. Um, the the previous two um, seemed to be a bit of a letdown. Um, I think they were referring to them as like the million million MAGA march or something insane like that. Uh, I'm not quite certain they managed to break fifty thousand at any of these gatherings. Mm. Um, and it's it should be 
worthwhile or at least noteworthy to the people attending these things that the president of the United States is not attending your events. He may drive by, (laughs) but he's going to the golf course to go play or perhaps cheat at how many, how many holes do you play when you play golf? 18 holes. I I forgot. That's how long it's been since I've gone out and played golf, which I actually kind of enjoy, even though I'm awful at it. It is one of the few things I'm not exceptional at. And I'm willing to admit that I'm man yeah. enough to and say And it's so. only because they but, won't let you into the club. <laughs> but I mentioned this because Josh Hawley, um, a, a person who is in Congress, someone who has a bit of a reputation, um, has today released a statement um, making it very clear that he plans to object during the Electoral College certification process on January 6th, the same day as this upcoming event. Um, and it's interesting to hear the characterizations of what Mr. Hawley is doing, um, especially when I, I listen to his opponents, like Senator Chris Murphy, a Democrat of Connecticut, who said that this decision by Mr. Hawley is an attack on democracy, that this is strengthening the resolve um, and commitment uh, and deepening the paranoia of the president's supporters who don't believe that the results of this election were very good. And I, and I want to put it to you too, gentlemen, because I, I don't want to be in the position of defending Mr. Hawley. It, it does seem to me that this is a politically motivated volunteering um, for it act, but it also seems to me that his statement taken at face value um, is one that is pretty consistent and probably defensible. And that at bottom, not to say that it's smart, but at bottom, core idea here, and I should perhaps read from it for folks who haven't heard it. Um, I'll read the whole thing quickly because it's short. Following both the 2004 and 2016 election, Democrats in Congress objected during the certification of the electoral votes in order to raise concerns about election integrity. They were praised by Democratic leadership and media when they did so, and they were entitled to do so. But now those of us concerned about the integrity of this election are entitled to do the same. I cannot vote to certify the Electoral College results on January 6th without raising the fact that some states, particularly Pennsylvania, failed to follow their own state's election laws, yada, 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 Joe Biden, blah, blah, blah. For these reasons, I will follow the same practice Democratic members of Congress have in years past and object during the certification process on January 6th to raise these critical issues. I have said on this podcast, that's the end of the quote, I have said on this podcast that I fully support efforts to actually do things to give people greater confidence in the electoral process. I think that it's important to be transparent about mistakes that are made and to accept the fact that if half of the population thinks that this was kind of a scam, that that's consequential. However, that came about and you do have to do something to to address those concerns. Um, I am also of the mind that, in general, there is no evidence of widespread voter fraud that has yet been um, uncovered. And if the president of the United States or any of his allies had it, they would have already displayed it. And that both of those things seem consequential. But here's the question, gentlemen. Is Hawley right about this or um, are his critics right? Is he is he doing something that is gross and irresponsible um, is he doing something that is just plainly stupid um, or is this a, an attack on democracy, as Senator Chris Murphy has suggested? They're both wrong. Um, Hawley is an embarrassment 
he's an embarrassment to himself. He's an embarrassment to his constituents. He's an embarrassment um, to the United States Congress. And the it's an amazing, amazing thing to say. It's it's a debater's point that you make on a talk radio show. It's not something you grandstand about. Say, well, the Democrats did it. Okay, so they did something that you think was shitty, and you've demonstrated, and you've said it quite openly that you think in 2004 and 2016, what they did was stupid and shitty. So now you think that you should do it. And so tell me the logic there. Well, the logic is this. It is that I am trying to be Trumpier than Trump and to be next generation's Trump, and I'm going to do the Trumpiest thing I can possibly do right now. Is there any evidence of, you know sort of electoral fraud and blah, blah, blah. Uh, no, none. None whatsoever. Are there, I mean, you know, the same stuff you get every every election cycle. Is there a few things here and there that, well, yeah, sure, take that up with the states. Let the states, do it, you know, introduce bills, you know, sort of, you know, talk about this stuff, you know, on, on talk radio and with your constituents. Fine. But that's not what this is about. It's a complete lie to say that this is like, you know, I'm just going through the actual process here. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're doing this thing that is, that is exactly what the, you know, 45,000 people in the million MAGA march think when they come to, to DC. And now you have a member of Congress saying that, well, you're right. And you're so right that I'm going to actually object to to uh, Joe Biden becoming the president, which he won fair and square. Donald Trump ran a shitty campaign and he's been a shitty president. End of story. And on the other end of that, Chris Murphy is also wrong. The, I, th- this, they have to get this out of their fucking mouths. This is what I can't wait to. I, I hope this disappears, but we're going to have a couple more weeks of it. I saw George Conway, who, by the way, was just like, you know, somebody's uh, husband until he started tweeting. His, cre- his credentials here are just to tweet incessantly about Donald Trump. Yeah, I'm, on, I'm probably more on his side than, 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 well, I know I'm more on his side than you are, Camille. But, you know, I don't want to hear from, he was on fucking Jake Tapter's show yesterday, today, something, you know, going on about this, this is not democratic. This is, he's leaving, it's over, shut the fuck up. Like, I'm done with you. Like, I don't care. You did nothing at all beyond push Russia, 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 and try by hook or crook to get this guy out of office. And now we're in this habit of talking about the death knell of democracy. So many books have been written about this by previously serious people. So many tweets, so many cable news segments. And so it doesn't even, nobody even notices it when Chris Murphy says, this is a challenge to democracy. No, democracy challenges him, you idiot. And watch, where does this go? Is this going to derail the the inauguration of Joe Biden? No, it's going to make a fool of Josh Hawley. So, you know, sit back, make your, you know, grandstanding statements and say, oh, it's a threat to democracy. And, and you know, it, it, it further pushes Trump people. Do you think that Trump people who believe that there was a steal needed further evidence to support that? There's no evidence. It's just a guy saying something. They're not waiting on Josh Hawley. You're all fucking fools. And anybody who wants to get into politics in this way. Yeah. He's a fool. They, like Josh Hawley's not saying this because he Hawley. believes it. He's like most politicians are sitting there calculating what they can get away with. It has nothing to do with their principles or what they believe. And you know why you think it has nothing to do with their principles? And you know that that's the case after all this fucking time is that today on the, on the, the Senate floor, I think it was today, 
Bernie Sanders held up a, a big picture of a Donald Trump tweet and was making an argument that we have to listen to the president. The president is correct. Let's do what the president wants. And that's Bernie Sanders, uh, who's like, you know, has a summer house in Managua and another one in, in Caracas. <laughs> and he's like, you know, this president I don't like, but we're the friends. Like, there's no ideology anymore. Like, I don't know what is conservative what is Republican about wanting to go from six hundred to two thousand dollars? Who fucking knows? The, the, it's, it, Donald Trump was right about one thing: it is a fetid swamp in D.C. and it's just swampier than it's ever been. He drained not an inch of it, and it probably the, the water levels were rising by about two inches. I'd imagine. Can I push back a little bit here, Moynihan, and you can respond to this as well, Welch? I mean, is is there a defensible way for a serious person to say, look? We do need to look into what's going on here. And for effect, I'm going to vote against electoral college certification here. Can, can you do both of those things? Name the serious person. <laughs> Name the yeah, serious start, person. Start by being a I'm serious person. The, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm asking the question. I'm not. Here. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just I'm like, asking like it's a, it's a, it's an interesting hypothesis. And in the, you would imagine that in the wor real world, there must be someone mm -hmm. who inhabits that space. Yeah. Who is it? No, I don't think there's anyone. And and personally, I don't think you have to yeah. object to the electoral college certification in order to make the point that I agreed with, that one ought no, to look I mean, into like, allegations of voter fraud, do it in a serious and transparent manner, and try to give people confidence in the mechanisms of voting. Because we do Democrats were concerned we about this before, and Republicans are concerned about it now. And the only thing that seems to have changed is the outcome of the election. It's the only thing that seems to impact who is outraged and who says everything is fucking fine. Yes and no. Uh, I mean, like uh, we have a distributed system of of the provision of elections and the provisions of justice um, or judicial, not justice, uh, judicial like proceedings in this country. And the idea that, like, you know, someone needs to come and just look into this um, makes it sound like for a second that that process hasn't been happening it has been happening i don't know what the latest numbers are but last time i looked it was was uh trump one uh meaning zero ne and uh not trump uh 54 in in court cases it's probably more like you know one one, one against 56 or something like that by now probably even more who knows yeah and they, um, and they get tossed they for a have, lot of different reasons they've been a lot of different reasons um uh, uh it, oftentimes it's standing mm -hmm which is not something to wave away. Right. Like you have to actually qualify to get in court. Um, but there, what, there have been uh, several uh, uh, lawsuits that have been like, okay, you uh, rejected this one on standing. I would really like to talk about the evidence because you provided none motherfucker. <laughs> um, uh, it's, it ha it's, it's so overwhelmingly lopsided. So like the, the, uh, the mythical serious person who just wants to make sure that there's election integrity out there. Um, what is that person doing? I would hope that person is looking through all of these lawsuits individually, looking through the pre-election history of uh, the kinds of uh, uh, laws that were made or rules that were set at the state level, challenging them then, talking about them then. Um, including, I might say, at my employer, Reason Magazine, saying, hey, look, Pennsylvania looks like a shit show. They did it wrong in advance. Um, the way that they did it is going to sow uh, a sense of, of disbelief about what happens eventually. It was a bad system. 
Um, but Matt, I mean, also just to put, just to interject quickly here is that th- th- this already happened. Donald Trump already set up a commission on voter fraud run by the ridiculous Chris Kobach, and it got no bit where yeah. it fell apart. I mean, so there was already this, like, you know, historically, let's look at w- what's happening, and and they couldn't prove a damn thing. And and Chris Kobach was repeatedly laughed out of court by Republican appointed judges. Not just judges. that, but like act, uh, tasked with taking remedial law. Because he did such a yes, bad right. job yeah. representing himself in court as the Secretary of State of Kansas. And I'd point out, too, that like <laughs> Georgia, where, you know, Donald Trump is inventing brothers of Georgian politicians who he uh, Republican Georgian politicians who he says are doing a bad job of this. Georgia was the poster child from the Democratic point of view of being uh, hard asses on uh, on voter integrity. They were the ones who were pur- purging the rolls, allegedly, of Democratic voters and being, you know, they were the ones who Republicans wanted to emulate up until the point that Republicans didn't get a result that they wanted. And again, it's like you took the ride, people. This is this is who Trump was always going to be. It wasn't about the consistent principle of, of protecting the integrity of the election. I've heard Trump say the same thing um, in a worse way that you said earlier, Camille, like, hey, look, I'm just I'm, I'm out here trying to 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 make people, you know, have more of a sense uh, that the elections were held with integrity. Like, no, the fuck you're not Donald Trump. Camille Foster always is. <laughs> Donald Trump absolutely never is and never has been dating back to 2015, 2016, when he's first competing in primaries. And anytime he didn't get a result that he liked, he blamed it on fraud and a bunch of other crap. Um, that's who he is. So <laughs> even when he got his results. So Josh Hawley is acting like a facile whataboutist clown that he is, which matches with his legislative res- record, which is on the Section 230 of the uh, Communication Decency Act and a bunch of other things besides uh, uh, trade protectionism. He's today railing against Walmart. Um, he's super mad that his constituents might get like cheap goods real bad. Got to got to be against that. Um, Josh Hawley is a clown and he's and he's uh, running for uh, the position of being sort of the cheap uh, chief populist clown once Trump theoretically recedes from the scene. Um, good luck to the entire party and everyone there. And I would just like to read one tweet from Rod Dreher, who I maintain a bit of affection for, even though I've disagreed with him over the years, uh, writes to the American conservative and other outlets, Christian conservative over the years. He uh, famously wrote what what's the Benedict option um, talking about how uh, uh, American evangelicals should just sort of like peace out and get out of the culture because the culture sucks. Um, uh, anyways, I disagree with him politically about a bunch of things. And his this is his reaction today about Josh Hawley um, saying that he cannot vote to certify the Electoral College results. He says, this is depressing. I thought that he would be a good leader of a serious, competent populist movement within the post-Trump GOP. I didn't expect him to play Trump's game at this late date. Rod, you know I like you. I'm friendly towards you. And I am also licking up your tears because <laughs> the idea that there's a serious, competent populist movement, a serious, competent populist movement. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's can, hoping. Can one of you motherfuckers in the world, and I'm not talking about my co-hosts here. I'm talking about you people who've been talking to me about serious, competent populist movements. Point me to fucking one, to fucking one serious, competent, populist, 
fucking moment, movement, anything in the last 50 years anywhere. Last 100 years anywhere. Just point it to me. I, I will gladly exceed it when it happens. <laughs> but Pitchforks, Pat Buchanan. Yeah. That was the best shot. Jesus Christ. He was the most serious. I mean, uh, honestly, I mean, it's like the Pat, Pat Buchanan, that was the strain in, in Republican politics and conservative politics. People said, oh, paleo conservatism. He's like, no, Pat Buchanan, you know, a Republican on an empire, you know, he, he was, you know, Trump before Trump. And you see a lot of it in Nixon, too, who was, you know, he worked for, obviously, of these kinds of there's a mix with Nixon of a bit of like tiny bit of neoconservatism, a tiny bit of old style republicanism and a tiny bit of of this kind of populist republicanism that you see you see today. And I, I mean, I think the best result of the, the Trump years for the Republican Party is effectively the dissolution of the Republican Party and its current and its current formation. What it got itself into in the Bush years was unsustainable. And it had all the elements of populism, but with none of the rhetoric. The spending was populist, right? The, you know, without the, being open about the it. Yeah. Pres- pres- yeah, the prescription, Medicare, all this. St- I mean, they went in the direction that, that, that Trump would ultimately go into, but he's just so much more blatant about it. And then, of course, the foreign policy stuff collapsed, and nobody wants to ever admit that they were a neoconservative. Uh, in those years from you know, sort of 2002 to 2008. And so that needed something else after that. And it wasn't going to be Mitt Romney, obviously. And John McCain was too much in the mold of, of George W. Bush and, and, you know, just couldn't, couldn't compete against, you know, a newcomer like Barack Obama, who's an incredible retail politician. And so where does that leave the party? And it left us with Donald Trump, which was a catastrophe. It was a catastrophe for, for Republican politics. It was ideologically aimless. It was, it was schizophrenic. It was unpredictable. We had no idea what Trump believed one day to the next. What he, did he have a health care plan? And you know, you know, what the Republicans came up with, he didn't like because it wasn't sort of you know, progressive enough. I mean, it's just bizarre. In this bizarre stuff, you need some measure of predictability in an opposition party like the Republican Party, who's you know, now going to be the opposition party, as opposed to this willy-nilly thing. It's like, this is why, of course, Europeans and parliamentary democracies split up into four nominally right-wing parties and sort of four nominally uh, left-wing parties. It would be nice. I mean, that's kind of you know what I-, I wished would happen in America at this point. I never wished that in the past, but I wish that all of these populists could go fuck themselves and just go hang out together and not bother me anymore. Should we should we talk a little bit about this essay in Paste magazine by a, a dedicated journalist, a, a crack investigative journalist who has <laughs> one of the most thankless beats in journalism? The that's not funny, is it? Uh, <laughs> beat, which which just means that you, you follow comedians and you get to decide. You are the arbiter of what's funny and what's not because you know it's not enough that we laughed at the joke. You have to come back and tell us whether or not it's okay that we laughed at the joke. Um, this this gentleman, Seth Simons, has published something. Matt, could you could you give us a little context um, about this? Because he's going after I only, friend Andrew Schultz and his new Netflix special. I only found out about this not because it had become an internet thing or a Twitter thing. I think it might have become one because I found it. You amplified it. I sure did, man. I amplified the platform or whatever people say. Um, no, I was doing a search, I swear to God, uh, a Google search on like COVID, uh, you know, blame the victim California or something like that. All right. Cause I was looking for, uh, 
occasions. We have plenty of occasions in which people, um, mostly from the left, blame people from the right of their personal behavior. But I've I've also seen some or remember some where people are like blaming California now, like, oh, the lockdowns is why you have the COVID now. Ha ha ha. And I, I was looking for the, for evidence of that for a piece that I'm writing. Weirdly enough, this piece pops up in Paste Magazine, which, by the way, used to be like a really okay alt-country journal in the South, right? That's like, I, I think that's its origins in the late 90s, early aughts. Um, uh, it was one of the, a, a couple of places where I can go and read about like alt-country music, mm. which I was a participant in that genre and uh, appreciated the work. Anyways, Paste has gotten woke over the years. And uh, why did Netflix... This is the headline. Why did Netflix give a platform <laughs> to Andrew Schultz's lazy, uh, harmful, uh, anti-Asian uh, what, what? pandemic jokes? Uh, Goes the thing from Seth Simons, who someone I hadn't heard about, but I've since, I've posted this on Twitter, have learned a lot about, and I find him as funny as hell. I know that Michael has read the piece and has some thoughts about it and maybe would even like to recite some of the, the language from it because it's so funny. But I, my, my one like precursor to all this is that like it is so I, – I feel like I should be mad about this or something because it's like Andrew is a friend and not it, his comedy isn't for everybody. He's a bit bro-y and if you don't like the bro stuff, you're not going to like Andrew. Um uh, I find it good. I think he's one of the few comedians who've done well in the Trump era, keeping it real, keeping it funny and like not losing his head. Um, but whatever, it's, it's comedy. You're going to like it or not. Um, but so, but, you know, but he's also a friend and this guy went at him and he went at him full guns. And like it is such a, an exhausted uh, gesture. Like he's so tired. He's so fatigued. And the thing that like is the funniest fucking thing at all of this entire long very hyperlinked um, effort is the tagline, which is, and I'll leave it to Michael after this. Seth Simons is the writer of. <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible to read this without laughing. Seth, I hope you're listening because you're so fucking funny. <laughs> you're so fucking funny. I am laughing. Not with you. I'm totally laughing. Seth Simons is the writer of humorism. <laughs> a newsletter about labor inequality and extremism in the comedy industry. Morning, and you probably you probably uh, read it a little bit uh, uh closer than I did after the tagline. Um I'm wondering if you have any preliminary thoughts. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a funny thing is it's always these people who write about comedy also happen to be the least funny people on the planet. They're just like these fucking boring scolds who are telling me what's funny. And it's like, dude, you have a a, a, th a newsletter called The Humorist or Humorism or whatever, which I went to today and I, I was desperate to find a line that I, I could laugh at because unlike this shithead, I can actually laugh at people that I disagree with and don't think that they're um, you know, causing an uptick in racist violence, which he kind of, um, you know, blames Andrew for, by the way. <laughs> he said, you know, he calls it the Wuhanic plague. <laughs> and his, la 
His language echoes anti-Chinese rhetoric, rhetoric used by Donald Trump mm. and other GOP leaders, which coincided with the rise in racist violence yes. across the country. Is that true? No, no, it's not. But whatever. Who cares? Um, but by the way, the funniest thing is how dumb this fucking kid is, is that he argues that Xi Jinping, who he calls Winnie the Flu, <laughs> <laughs> this kid obviously doesn't even know that- He doesn't know. That he in China- know. Yeah. It is actually banned to oh uh, to they, they were banning like movies and th and and like um, you know on Weibo all these like, these memes because Chinese people <laughs> were saying that Xi Jinping looks like Winnie the Pooh. So Winnie the Flu is uh, is, is kind mm -hmm. of uh, funny. And this guy, of course, really understands humor because when you make a joke like that, he has to debate a completely unrelated point, like that they had that uh, you know about wet markets. China did shut down wildlife markets, which are often erroneously conflated with wet markets. <laughs> Moreover, the debunked idea that the coronavirus originated in the Chinese wet market is based on racist stereotyping. And it's like, dude, you know, when I read that line, I'm like, man, I got to talk to this guy. He seems fucking hilarious. And so I went to his dumb newsletter. And of course, there's nothing funny in it. And ev the, the most amazing thing is this guy beyond, I mean, beyond being a, a just an honestly shitty writer, it's just a really, really bad, labored, horrible writer and poet. He publishes his poetry, you know, like most comics. Um, <laughs> and he, and, the, and uh, the, my favorite uh, sentence, there's so many good ones. Uh, no, no. I mean, it's comedic, you know, <laughs> unintentionally, but, but this, I love my, my favorite sentence was the whole point of comedy is to believe something. What? What, what? what? is so, it? What is what? that? I don't know is what that it? means. Um, yeah, I don't know. What did I, 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 what did even... I believe in watching Richard Pryor? <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> what did oh, I believe in? God. Thank God for penitentiaries. Um, <laughs> Free basic. <laughs> but I, I love that, that people who write this, this is my favorite. There's a couple of these texts like this. When he writes, one of my personal theories is like, you're, it's your <laughs> newsletter. You don't have to say one of my personal you know, theories. Just say, you, just yeah. One of my personal theories is that nothing's funnier than funny people talking enthusiastically about their peculiar interests. Oh. What? <laughs> what? Golly gee, shucks. The joy yeah. is just and leaping so off the page. Just, just how this guy gets a fucking byline and anything beyond his stupid there, right? news. That's what he's talking about? I mean, it yeah. is, um, it is amazing. So the great thing, and I'm, we've talked about Andrew, I think in the past three podcasts, Have we? but uh, my, the great, yeah, I think so. The, <laughs> the, 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 gra the greatest thing about this is that you realize at what this guy's entire point in life is. He's a fucking rat. <laughs> He's literally a rat. He just, he exists to rat yeah. people out. He is the guy that is like, you know, tells the, the jackbooted thugs, he's hiding in there. They, I saw them go into the basement. And they're like, thank you, sir. And they go and they- He's the one who ratted out the SNL Asian comic yes, for having a problematic which, background. And misunderstanding the joke. But he hates all of these people. So all of his posts are about um, um, like the uh, Legion of Skanks guys and Tim Dillon, who he, he, he loathes and Andrew, et cetera. But the thing is, you get into this and- Every fucking post is about people doing comedy at places without masks on. I I'm not kidding. <laughs> it is so utterly bizarre. And he, so Eddie Murphy does SNL. And afterwards, they famously have an SNL after party, which is like everyone loves these things. And so because Eddie Murphy's doing it, everyone who's anyone in comedy is there, right? So, so uh, Rock is there, Chappelle is there, et cetera. And this guy goes and tracks down 
Instagram photos posted from that party. And this is his, his read uh, on it. Um, and this is supposed to be funny. This is how people who are unfunny write. Forget your troubles as I whisk you to the wondrous world of one week ago with these photos of Saturday Night Live's indoor, unmasked, undistanced all-night after party. Nobody appears to be wearing a mask except for Chris Rock in one photo, but not in another. And an unidentified person in the background. This is like amazing to me. And this is like one of many of these things. You know, he, he uh, Dave Chappelle does a show. This is a totally different post. Uh, zooming out a bit more, is anyone going to talk about how Chappelle recorded this monologue at a clearly indoor comedy show in Texas where comedy venues are operating largely without restrictions? I mean, come on, people. Like, this is, it, it's fascinating how Chappelle, who is such an incisive critic of power dynamics that affect him directly while remaining utterly fogeyish. About ones that don't. What does that mean, Matt? Do you know what that means? Fogeyish. It's it's the oh, yeah. it's so this. I'm sorry. I just had so much fun reading um, that uh, uh, this guy literally. I swear to God, he goes through like every. So this is my. I'll give you the last one here. Brian Regan is if people who like comedy know that Brian Regan is the least offensive comic in the world. He doesn't swear. He's just like a kind of a nice guy kind of comic. Um, Consider the light-handed treatment. This is a totally separate post. And you have to pay for this, by the way. I didn't, but, you know, you can get around the paywall. Um, Consider the light-handed treatment Brian Regan received in the months leading up to his infection. An August interview in the Charlotte Observer focused on whether he was nervous to perform for small crowds in intimate venues. Not because of the deadly virus, but because he's used to filling theaters. (laughs) (laughs) And then he goes on to catalog and he goes searching on uh, Instagram to find pictures that Brian Regan has taken with fans to say that it's these clubs have to stop comics interacting with fans after shows. This is a huge, I mean, these are the people we're talking about. Ignore them. I'm glad Matt didn't because this, this guy's like so dumb that it's funny. And this is exactly what's wrong. I mean, you couldn't find a better example of people who like ruin comedy for everybody. Somebody who is humorless, a humorless scold, who's also a fucking rat telling me what I should and shouldn't listen to in comedy. It's amazing. And the thing is, he can't ruin comedy. That's that's why yes. I, I feel the sense of contemptuous pity more than anything else. I recall uh, Moynihan on a recent episode, it might have been a Patreon, when we were talking about the Tiki Drinks Oh, yeah. piece in the New York Times, which since we recorded that actually finally came out in the physical paper. And I would like to add that in the physical paper, it was the cover of the business section, probably um, really like funny illustrations like the art department's like, oh, really? We're doing a story about Tiki. We're going to do a bunch of whimsical colors and like fun and like design and stuff like, oh, yeah, maybe that has something to do with like Tiki, yeah. which is kind of this artificial construct and an excuse for whimsical something or others. Um, but anyways, you uh, ended, and possibly because you, you had drank about 17 bottles of whiskey <laughs> was, um, uh, yeah, with a gone. bit of, a, of an angry rant. And I, I was reading this guy's thing, and I couldn't stop laughing, and not because he was being funny on purpose, um, but just like how um, ineffectual it all oh, is. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. the world, uh, he was trying to bust uh, Schultz's chops. He's like, well, Andrew Schultz used to, talk about how he didn't didn't want to even be like he was too unsafe for for netflix and now he's on netflix. so i guess the anti-establishment tarianism is now establishment it's like i mean wow that's he's, he's collecting a bag and they that, change their song 
<laughs> what can one, yeah, what yeah, can yeah, one yeah, exactly. They've decided to platform yeah, the dangerous man, the very dangerous man who's promoting hate crimes and violence. <laughs> the, 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 the headline is, why Don't. did Netflix give a platform? Because fucking people like it, you <laughs> piece of shit. Because he's already like, getting you, numbers. Because he yeah, had a platform. Yeah, because you, and you they get like 15 subscribers too. to your fucking <laughs> dumb, scolding newsletter, and he gets a million views on every the, video. Who's winning The real here? question is, why are we giving and this the thing pla- is, platform? But... I know that's but a we're, good point. But we're, well, we're not. But exactly. but uh, but, <laughs> but it's it's like it's it's symbolic of a thing, which is that, and and this also goes to where Michael had said uh, previously, is that um, these people are going to um, very joylessly protect this ever shrinking territory. Um, it could be a shrinking territory because of business, because of readership, listenership, or whatever. Um, and it like it it increasingly doesn't matter. It's hilarious. It's funny that there's way too many, uh, way too much representation of this in what we previously described as sort of elite media or whatever. Um, but mostly comedy is going to happen so far away from these concerns, mm-hmm. so so very very far away. Comedy happens where people want to mm-hmm. laugh, and not not where people want to clap. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's going to always find the place where people want to laugh, including wanting to laugh, um, at stuff that they didn't expect to want to laugh at, which is one of the fucking purposes of comedy to begin with. And so I look at it, it just, it makes it, that's why I'm unintentionally laughing at Seth Simons. Like, my God, all this effort to point out to all of us that we're laughing wrong in the wrong places and for the wrong people, um, it's not going to matter your efforts. No, and you're no, and you are not building an attractive world for anyone to join. I mean, I'm sure there are people who are, you know, thank God we have a free market, and there's going to be people who are like, yes, I want to subscribe to the newsletter to tell me that the <laughs> no, thing that I laughed not, at no, might be no, wrong. No. That's not true. <laughs> I think it's not going to be high numbers. It's just my, yeah. my early prediction. Um, but who knows? Maybe he finds well, I just, the, and the, God love him. The ultimate win in this uh, is uh, for the uh, still undefeated Andrew Schultz, who does have a Netflix special, which millions of people mm. have watched, has videos that millions of people watch all the time because he's exceptionally good at what mm-hmm. he does. And uh, this Seth uh, character chose uh, to be a writer and uh, it's something he's exceptionally bad at. And I just say that just you know, as objective as I can, regardless of his, his dumb opinions, he's not good at writing. And, uh, you know, Andrew Schultz, he's attacking somebody who's very good at what he does. So I think in the end, uh, no one has going to have any idea who Seth is and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, Andrew Schultz. Seth is win. objectively good. And I, and I mean this seriously because I found this out after tweeting about him tonight. Apparently he's cut some swath in the world. So people are really interested in his effluvia. <laughs> Seth is really good at doing bird calls. <laughs> is that true? And, uh, there's, a, there are, there's extensive YouTube really? videoage of him. Uh. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Yeah. G- Google his name and bird birds and poetry. Oh. And, oh. Uh, and uh, Exactly the guy it, you want writing about yeah. comedy. Well, what, what <laughs> is acceptable comedy? Don't laugh. Yeah. Don't, la- don't laugh at that. <laughs> Don't laugh at that, you scumbags. Um, all right. Well, we should probably punch out of here soon. It is the end of the year. This is our yeah. our, our closing salvo for uh, 2020. And I, and I do want to say the best thing about 2020 is that it is over and it is done with. Um, yeah. But there have been some highlights. And, and I will say that over the past couple of 
um, months, actually over the course of the year, the people who've listened to this podcast um, and who've written us notes, most of which have been, I mean, just obviously overflowing with praise because we're so wonderful. Um, the, mm-hmm. You you people are remarkable, um, especially the, the very fine patrons of this podcast who have given in some cases until it hurts. Some of you could do a lot more um, and we expect more of you <laughs> and we'll continue to. Um, but you all have been just remarkable. You really kept us going um, and um, have, have lent us um, your, well, it's interesting because oftentimes people will write in and say things like, man, you guys have really helped to give me a sense that I'm not you know, crazy. I'm not alone in the world. Well, you all have done the same for us in many instances. Uh, me in particular, there have been various points um, this year where I thought I was being punked by the entire universe, where some of the things about which I am most interested became front and center for all of the worst possible reasons. And I, I just was completely baffled and flummoxed, which probably came through in a couple of instances. Um, and to be able to do this on a regular basis, to, to purge, to, to rage with these fine gentlemen, um, and to, to have a, a dialogue of sorts with all of you has been um, a phenomenal privilege and is also um, just been, um, yeah, something I'm, I'm immensely proud of. All of the blue humor, uh, the occasionally insightful um, conversation and the wonderful guests who graced us with their presence over the course of this very, very odd and strange year um, that began with me in Brooklyn preparing to go to Hong Kong um, and ends with me living outside of the Bay Area, not quite certain where I'm going to be working or recording over the course of the next 12 months or so. Um, but uh, yeah, what a what a ride. Um, gentlemen, I'm sure you have some some closing thoughts that you want to share. I mean, if I'm comparing New Year's Eves um, uh, last year, I don't think you two guys were here, uh, but uh, uh, we threw a, a an epic super triple kegger at a firehouse in Red Hook in Brooklyn. <laughs> there were people who've been on this podcast climbing up and down fire poles. <laughs> Uh, it was filthy. It was great. <laughs> it was wonderful. And this year in, in, on New Year's Eve in Red Hook, I'm going to be standing in the freezing sleet uh, waiting for two hours to get a COVID test um, <laughs> in the morning. That's the that's the difference there. Uh, uh, but uh, to echo what Camille said, like not just uh, uh, the you know, the sense of community and anchoring and kind of like we're all going through things together. Um, that's just gigantic um, and amazing. But like you you know, we've been moving around all over the place between all of us. And, you know, we had a place that we used to record at <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> with some frequency. And then there was a replacement for that place. Then Moynihan like moved out of that and moved to East Egg. Um, uh, so, but your, uh, generosity has helped us get to a place where matter of days mm. and weeks at maximum, we're going to have sweet sounding and, and hopefully sweet mm. looking yeah. even, uh, uh, audio and video, um, uh, from now on. Um, and that's just, just thanks to you. There's Wouldn't a legit happen studio under construction. It's great. That's, which is kind of wild. Yes. Yeah. That is, that is a good yes. thing to come yeah. from here for sure. And that, it's yeah, amazing. And that's, it's amazing. Because, and that's because of the uh, listeners of the show. 
And I agree with Camille. I mean, we thank you so much. And then uh, there are you, some of you who just have not done mm. enough. And Free um, <laughs> I want to be clear about that, that you should be Tell tithing. the truth. Uh, yep. And yep. yeah. So I, I think, I don't know what to call it. I think it's 7% mm. of your income should, should come to us. Mm. Uh, Pre-tax, wow. uh, by wow. the way. Uh, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. But, you know, you get a lot for it. And uh, I will read you sections of a of a newsletter that nobody else reads. That you got that here at the end of the mm, the, yeah. the podcast tonight. But no, we we appreciate uh, everybody's uh, contributions and the Patreon community that we kind of started on a whim. And I'd say with the honest truth about this podcast <laughs> is that we did this because we like each other and like talking to each other and like arguing with each other. And never you might have noticed this. Never promoted it. Never had an ad. I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I can't think of another one that doesn't have ads on it. We've never tried to, you know, go crazy and monetize it. We did the Patreon like in a weekend, like, fuck it, let's just put this thing up and see if it works and people can pay for a podcast that they get free if they choose. And then that created this completely other kind of superstructure of like a second podcast that we do every week, doubling our workload. <laughs> and uh, and for, for people just on Patreon and the interaction, the Zoom calls, the, pre, the recorded stuff, I have a new thing coming up uh, in which I'll be talking to historians, one-on-one um, -on -one conversations that are, you know, obviously more serious than some of the stuff that we do here. So there's a lot of stuff coming in the new year. And uh, we couldn't do it without you guys. So thank you very Michael much. Michael Moynihan, merciful. So, shitty year, but you guys have been great. Michael Moynihan, merciful, merciful and gracious. You, I mean, you know the biblical tithe is 10% <laughs> on your net increase. So 7% is pretty good. Oh. I, I mean, it's tax competition, yeah. Camille. I mean, I'm trying to go lower than That's the true. church. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean these, I mean, these savage, the these savage atheists aren't giving their money to the church anyways the way they ought to. So they might as well give it to us. Church of the fifth. Yeah. We, um, yeah. <laughs> Church of, Church of Church the Fifth. fifth. Um, I, I will. I will commend to all of you um, one thing that I saw this week that's amazing um, because I've watched it like three times in the past week. Um, the whole thing. I mean, I'm not sleeping at night. It's the weirdest thing. I have. I have um, time zone vertigo. Like I'm dizzy. I don't know what time of day it is, and I probably won't sleep tonight again for like the fourth consecutive night. It's probably not healthy. This. This is probably a bad thing. Yeah. Maybe these are some yeah. famous last nope. words. But in either, either case. Amazon Prime has this series called The Planets. You should totally watch it. It doesn't sound invigorating. It, I, I've wept openly watching the episode on Jupiter. The Juno probe, like the photos of it in high definition on my amazingly large four, uh, 4K. Yeah, 4K. I didn't spring for the 8K television. It was a mistake. I still feel bad about it. It's incredible. <laughs> you should watch this. It's revelatory. You need this shit in your life. You will feel better about yourself and the world if you watch this. Just saying. So that's it. Also, the expanse is back. That's great too. So I don't know what yeah, that is. Well, what is that? You should be watching it. Is all I can say. All right. I I start I started watching a show um, on Netflix last night. Um, that's a Polish show. Um, but it seems to have been developed by a Polish person and someone called Joshua Long, who I presume isn't Polish, called 1983. Hmm. And it's oh. a uh, kind of a alternate uh, history version of uh, Poland under communism that survives uh, and, and 1989 never happens. And it's uh, pretty interesting. Is this sub and, subtitled? Uh, oh, yeah, or? It's, it, it's subtitled, but there's the, the episode that I watched last night, there was 
there was some English in it too. There was an American uh, uh, contingent in this part of the show, but it's it's uh, it also features a Vietnamese man speaking Polish, which is pretty great because you know obviously uh, a fraternal communist country and there's like a Vietnamese section of town and it's really it's a fairly interesting show. I don't know if it's going to be good in the long mm-hmm. run, but I like the the conceit. I like the I like the way it's shot is 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 pretty good and just totally randomly uh, chose it. And um, uh, it might suck, but uh, so oh man! Speaking of the early eighties, um, quickly, Matt, um, Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four, Gail Gadot, she is the best worst actress in America. I would watch that movie hundreds and hundreds of times. And in Israel, over, yeah. um, and she is just terrible. I mean, she's just the worst actress. But I would so watch that she? movie again and again. I mean, it's a bad movie. It is not good. I watched the first like twenty movies. I try to get Levy to watch it. Like, hey, some girl power yeah. stuff. And then you sent Levy away. I turned, and I kept turned around. By yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, totally. I kept watching it, and she was like on her iPad. She's like, no. yeah, this is not a place for women <laughs> to be superheroes. I was like, that's really sexist. And she said, no, Papa, it's true. And I was like, man, where did you get this Bobby Riggs kind of theater? She said, you know what? Could you shut up? And then that was the last time I've talked to her. So, have you seen that Bobby Riggs? Uh, like, uh, doc- it was the documentary or TV there's a show? there's a movie uh, with Steve Carell playing Bobby Riggs. Did you see that? I haven't seen good? it. No, but I want to. We should have once you set up the East Egg Movie Studio. We should uh, go out there and have a look. That'd be perfect. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, yeah. I've got I've got a, pl- a a number of movies that I I have to have to watch because I've been nothing doing nothing but fucking drywalling. So if you know anything about that, send me a send me. I'm I'm pretty good at it. I think I think this is the thing that I think I've finally found my calling in life. And it's either writing about the problematic aspects of New York comedy or doing drywalling. <laughs> yeah. And I think that yeah. because there's somebody that does the previous one so well, I just don't think I can compete. I think I'm going to become a contractor. So I will tell you that my father Peter Welch and his father Walter Welch. Um, both were professionals at one of those two jobs. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to you to guess which was it writing about the problematics of New York comedy or laying drywall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you hang drywall. The real opportunity, Moyne, uh, is to become the contractor you can trust who comes to your home and berates you for all of your moral failings and tells you about all the things that you shouldn't laugh at while fixing your electrical outlets unlicensed and then patching He's the holes afterwards do, do, and they clean up after themselves do you not <laughs> yeah well, yeah that's right that was a patreon yeah. episode you can get that joke if you subscribe for five ten dollars a month um but do you think that that's not where we're headed i mean this is becoming so common now i i, I honestly I think, expect I not where we're the guy to yeah, like i think so it is they're gonna move they're gonna uh, move my no. sink and he's just going to look at me nervously and be like, oh, he looks like one of those punky guys from the city. And he's going to be like, you know what I think matters? Black lives. And I'm like, I, and he's like, how many, you know, I, I want to see, I would see the, like, a, you know, a black body in this tub. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think many, it's just, how, time. <laughs> sorry. How many black lives are discussed in all those Stalin and Hitler books up on your wall? Uh, well, Paul Robeson. <laughs> so, <laughs> w.e.b. Du Bois. Yeah, that's oh, about it. Yeah. Richard Wright for a moment. The righteous but... baritone. All right. All right. Bye. 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 We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The fifth column. <laughs>